It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from Microsoft Surface. Now more than ever, you need a laptop that can be as adaptable as you are. Introducing Microsoft Surface Laptop Go. Finally, a premium laptop at an affordable price. Starting at just $549, its light, thin design, vibrant touchscreen, powerful processor, and built-in HD camera and mic turns any room in your home into a classroom, office, or study hall. Available in three amazing colors the whole family will love. Visit surface.com slash laptop go for more details. Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. You are locked on Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. I am Daniel Warrior, your host, and so happy to bring you your team every day. I am back from vacation, and since I woke up early, still being on East Coast time, decided to put out a, a quick little thing to catch up on some of the elements that I either missed or didn't record on during my time off. And the most important to me of these developments is what seems like the decision to go with Jose Calderon instead of Briante Weber for the 15th roster spot at the moment. You never know. Maybe that'll be 14 and they'll do another move. But I don't know the full rationale. I haven't talked to anybody since I've been back. But there is an intuitive logic for it, which is something that Warriors fans can remember from last year's playoffs in particular, which is that the most important role beyond being capable in garbage time in the regular season for the third point guard in the Warriors overall structure is to be ready to step in when one of the top two guys gets hurt. And when that happens, the most important aspect of their game is to be able to capably run or be a functioning part of the offense. Ideally, they can initiate, they can make shots for themselves and others, but at the bare minimum, you know, that they can not be a drag on it. And while Briante Weber is a, is a talented player, I think he has a future in the league. I think he could have a future with the Warriors. I understand why they would feel a pressure to have somebody who fits that archetype more, considering the Warriors have a greater pressure to win now than almost any team in in recent history. I mean, they won 73 games last year, didn't win the title. The title is such a great focus. And Weber is a nice piece. He might eventually be able to do some of that, but he doesn't really right now. And he can help, you know, make good passes and things like that. And he's a great defender. But if you consider the the most important part of being a point guard in the Warriors system, even with the other shot creators that they have, Draymond, Durant, you know, the system itself, having somebody who can make that pass, make that play and hit a jump shot is incredibly important. And Calderon is an underrated shooter, I guess you could say. Over time, he's been as a three point guy, he's been over 40% most of the last few years. And kind of like Steve Nash, part of how he benefits from being an efficient shooter is that he doesn't take bad shots. So, you know, that is something you need to consider is that he's not usually doing those chucks at the end of the shot clock. But what makes Calderon a little bit different than some other point guards, especially guys that you can get off the scrap heap functionally, is that he's solid as a pull-up guy and he's solid as a catch-and-shoot guy. This year's a little bit of an aberration just because he's played so few minutes for the Lakers. 
but he's already shooting. He shot 39% this year on catch and two threes. That's good enough. You know, that's more, that's good enough for what they need. And he's also solid on pull-ups. So last year he shot 38.3% on pull-up threes, attempting a little less than one a game and 42.8% on catch and shoot threes, shooting a little over two a game. And then that rate, you know, that that efficiency was pretty similar the couple of years before that. And then he made a higher percentage when he was, you know, when he was in Dallas playing in, in Rick Carlisle's system and then a little bit, you know, a little bit worse when he was on the Knicks the last couple of years. So we don't know entirely if Calderon has lost a step or anything like that. He is on the older side, turns 35 now, will turn 36 before the start of the next season. But if what you're looking for is a steward for the offense for, if you want to be optimistic, 10 to 20 minutes total in the playoffs, or in case of an injury, you know, 10 minutes a game, Calderon is at this moment in time a better bet. And if the Warriors, hopefully, if if they sign him and realize that it isn't the right fit, that he doesn't have what they thought he did. You know, when a guy gets older, sometimes they lose it. He's never been a great defender, but being a bad defender, and if you get older and becoming worse than that, can be a big detriment. They should be able to move on from that. They're not a luxury tax team or anything of that ilk. So if they made that decision, and it seems like Briante Weber was very popular within the organization. I, I read some quotes from Coach Kerr about how it was really hard to to cut him and you know, maybe maybe he still ends up on the team afterwards, especially considering it'll probably be hard for somebody to give Weber a long term, like a multi-year deal. Now, you never know. And oftentimes those ones late in the year are non-guaranteed for that second year. And if I were Weber's agent, I would advise against that, considering he's a great player to get a summer league, you know, have a nice summer league and maybe get an offer like Jonathan Gibson did with Mavericks, where Jonathan Gibson ended up getting cut, but he still had guaranteed money for that first year. And then the Mavericks ended up re-signing him during the year, but he had that money at the beginning. So I would probably not advise Weber to sign with any team including the Warriors, without any guaranteed money for next season. So unless somebody offers him that, and if, if so, absolutely, he should take it. So I'm a believer in Briante Weber in that kind of third point guard, utility guard role, and he could improve beyond that with time. But Calderon makes sense as that guy who can who can run the offense and break glass in case of emergency. He fits the bill better than Weber and probably fits the bill better than most of the other reasonable people that will be on the buyout market and that ties in with the other significant news in terms of the Warriors of the trade deadline and everything else is the Cavs getting Darren Williams off the buyout market he's going to go there and why I said Calderon is the best of the reasonable guys is that you don't usually see players like Darren Williams get bought out Darren is still a good player you know he's not of course what he was when we used to have those Darren Williams or Chris Paul discussions I think it was about 10 years ago but still a talented player who can do a good job of creating for other people. And Cleveland does not need that when LeBron James is on the floor, but LeBron James does not play every minute of every game, and that's especially true in the regular season. And so, like Kyle Korver, I think the Darren Williams move is more impactful as a regular season thing than a postseason thing, because when you ratchet up LeBron's minutes and intensity, when you ratchet up Kyrie Irving's minutes and intensity, they aren't going to need very much from Darren Williams, but it's nice to have him, just like I said with Calderon, it's nice to have him in case something happens. You know, Darren Williams is substantially more capable if Kyrie got hurt, if LeBron got hurt, of, of creating, of making good decisions, of getting good looks for everybody else. 
so if in that scenario, so it's kind of the regular season worst case is, is the good way of thinking about it. So helps a lot in the regular season, but the Cavs regular season doesn't really affect the Warriors much unless you feel like their seeding affects their likelihood of making the NBA finals. Because in that case, sure, because the Cavs are still the greatest threat to the Warriors in the Eastern Conference, whatever makes it harder for the Cavs or easier for the Cavs to make the finals affects the Warriors because, you know, the assumption is that the Warriors are going to make it. So that's there for Cleveland as well. And it'll be interesting to see how that all works out. Boston chose to keep their powder dry again. I'm not criticizing them necessarily for that, but they're not the same threat to Cleveland, especially in a playoff series that some hoped they would be. And, you know, Atlanta, Washington, Toronto, Toronto got better and Toronto got better against Cleveland, but I still don't think they're like the favorites. They just improved their chances a little bit in a playoff series, healthy against healthy. And that's fascinating because teams did upgrade a little bit. You know, Serge Ibaka helps them out. They, they gave up Terrence Ross, who's a nice piece, but they have Norm Powell. So Cleveland, I think, will face more competitive playoff series in, in this year than they did last year or probably two years ago. So that, that helps. I mean, the Warriors going through battles certainly tired them out at least a little bit. And, you know, they also had to deal last year with the cumulative fatigue that came with having Stephen Curry on the bench and having him limited after that. So we'll see. Maybe that affects Cleveland a little bit, maybe being a little bit older. Darren Williams certainly does not help their, their age issue, but he does help their talent. And when they made the decision not to match on Matthew Delvadova, they created this absence, which has really hurt their team. But again, it's a regular season issue, and Darren will do a good enough job to make all that work. But going back to something I talked about with Jose Calderon, Darren is not my favorite off-ball guy, and that's a little bit of a challenge for Cleveland because the ideal for a point guard for them is somebody who can play on-ball and off-ball, somebody who's primarily off-ball if they're playing with LeBron, and can hit some jump shots and everything like that. And Darren's not, he's not terrible. He's a pretty intuitive cutter. He's a smart guy, but he's not, you know, a dynamic catch and shoot guy. He doesn't drill shots off screens. So I don't expect that to be particularly potent, but you know, for that four or five minutes a game or five to 10, maybe even that, that in a, in a theoretical NBA finals that he's on the floor, LeBron isn't certainly helps. And also something I hadn't thought of until now is that he's pretty strong. And I don't know exactly, I can't remember off the top of my head, how he fares against Sean Livingston, but presumably those guys will be matched up at least a little bit. And I think Darren could do a decent enough job on him. So that that's something worth watching, because last year the Cavs used Richard Jefferson to pretty good effect in those minutes, but the Warriors are going to change up their playoff rotations a lot off of last year because Kevin Durant is not Harrison Barnes. So we will see that as well. The last piece I want to talk about is Andrew Bogut of course, was a topic of discussion. I have not really gone through, because I just got back late last night, through Bobby, what Bobby Marks figured out in terms of the current CBA with Bogut that it sounds like from what I caught at, you know, as I'm floating through boats in the Caribbean, that he was theoretically allowed to sign with the Warriors because he changed teams before getting cut, which if true, which I, I trust Bobby's work, but I just haven't gone through it myself, is a stupid loophole that I'm assuming is, I, I think is fixed in the new CBA, but I'll take a look at it, of course. And more importantly is the substance on the court. And I don't think Andrew Bogut would have helped the Warriors that much if we're assuming that West, McGee, and most importantly, Zaza Pachulia are healthy. Bogut early in the season, you know, looks like the Warriors were missing him. You could even play him 15 minutes a game, go back to more of the old style. But Pachulia showed more capability defensively than early on. And when I watched Bogut 
this season as a Maverick, he looked a little bit, not not done, done is too strong in these circumstances for that, but not at the same level where he was at the best moments of even last season, but especially two years ago. So I don't think that the Warriors, he, he would have helped, like if we're comparing him, I'm, I'm still more critical of James Michael McAdoo than most, but he would have helped compared to that. But when we're talking about a fifth or fourth big man, it's not a big thing in the playoffs when you expand players' minutes in the rotation. Probably going to go a lot more into Draymond at center. And therein lies the real intriguing part of Bogut on the Cavs, assuming that is what happens, that he signs with the Cavs, who have a bunch of roster spots because they kind of wasted their roster spots during the season. I think Bogut might actually hurt them a little bit against the Warriors because going back to something that we've seen with most Bates and Nate Duncan and I talk a lot about on Dunked On, when a player faces their old team, they get a lot of motivation out of it. But that old team knows their strengths and weaknesses incredibly well. And with Andrew Bogut, the two big weaknesses that he has are pushing the floor in transition kind of one way or the other. And then the other one is defending in space. And Bogut does a nice job of, you know, if he's in his if he's in his little zone and you go at him, he's going to change shots. He's going to force deflections. He's going to block shots. He's going to do all of those things. That's still true. But if you force him out of that area, he can have some bad pick and roll coverages. He can just kind of get lost a little bit. And guess what? The Warriors have one of the best five out lineups in the entire NBA. So the most effective counter to Andrew Bogut is to go to Draymond Green at center. I'm sure Draymond would enjoy that on the other end as well. And I expect that Kerr knows that and would be willing to go to it. And the difference between Bogut at this point, or really any point, and Tristan Thompson is that Tristan Thompson can kill you on the offensive glass, so the defensive glass for the Warriors, because he's so aggressive in that way, he's undeniable. Andrew Bogut is not a great offensive rebounder. The guy who did that for the Warriors was Festus Azili on those teams, not Andrew Bogut. So he's not really going to make you pay in that realm. So going small against him doesn't have the same downside that it does with certain other big guys. Valanchunas is another player like this, or theoretically Ennis Kanter, but Ennis Kanter sucks so badly at defense that it's not a big issue. So that's really the way that all of this, I think, will work, is that he's a nice kind of fallback if Tristan gets hurt, if Tristan is limited by something else, or, you know, something else. But I, I think he's their third best center because Channing Fry provides a different element. And there is a, a, a relevant, while he is a lot better than Anderson Verjao, there is a potential for a, a problematic safety blanket. And so a problematic safety blanket is when a coach relies on a player because they're stable, because they're a vet, but they don't fit their personnel. This is something that Kerr did with Anderson Verjao and Festus Azili in the finals last year after Boga got hurt. And numerous coaches do this. And so they will get mad at an unconventional player. Channing Fry is a good example of this. Usually it's because of defense. And so they go with somebody else who is more stable, who is who is more traditional. And that opens up the door for the other team. The Warriors went to ineffective, inferior centers instead of going more to Draymond at center. And it arguably cost them an NBA championship. The Cavs could do something similar. Not the same. And Bogut is better than Anderson Verjao. And better than probably better than Festus was last year because he was still making his way back so it's different but the idea is very similar and I'm intrigued to see how Ty Lue does that because there have been moments including in the finals last year where he has had very little patience for Channing Fry in particular and it's also interesting because my feeling has always been that Cleveland needs more 
swingmen. They need more, you know, forwards and, and shooting guards, even when they get JR back. And getting Darren certainly helps. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, not even going to frame that any other way than that. But they now have a pretty set in stone perimeter rotation, particularly at the two, three, and four. And there aren't that many of those players that really cause the Warriors too much heartbreak. Kevin Love, talented guy when he's going and when he's healthy. We'll have to see on that, of course. LeBron is incredible. J.R. Smith, when if he's healthy and back and everything is together. And of course, he's also, for those of you who don't know, he's dealing with a personal thing that he had a daughter, I believe it was a daughter, but a child, who was born prematurely. And so it's been nice that while he's been recovering from, from his broken hand, that he's been able to, to be with his child who is, who is dealing with that. But you have to wonder how much he's focusing on his recovery and everything like that, because there are things in this life that are more important than that. So all of these elements for Cleveland are very important. And then outside of those guys, they have Amon Shumpert, Richard Jefferson, and, you know, not a lot that really moves the needle. So they're going to be relying on these older guys, maybe, maybe Jordan McRae, but I don't think McRae does anything against the Warriors. So they didn't add a PJ Tucker who could be a great defensive fit for them. He went to Toronto instead. They didn't add that sort of a player. They went stable they went old and Darren is is a great fit Bogut I'm actually a little bit skeptical of in that way because he doesn't do a lot that they needed and if they needed a backup you know a third center at some point then he's not a bad fit but I don't think that was their greatest need so it'll be fascinating to see all of that moving forward still such a long time until all of that matters late May early June but worth watching all the same so Thank you so much for listening. I hope this got out in time for many of you for your morning commute. For other people, you can listen to it on your evening commute. And of course, I will do a new episode on the Sixers game, which is going to happen today. Talk about that. Get to watch the team for the first time in a little while. If you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com at Danny LaRue on Twitter. Got a few nice things over the course of while I was on vacation. And I hopefully addressed a few of those things as well because a lot of people asked me about Bogut. A lot of people asked me about Calderon. Part of the reason I went in those directions on this. I deliberately didn't talk about the Durant thing because I don't know that much yet. And I, I'll do more digging over the course of the day. That will be, of course, discussed in the episode about the Sixers game and everything else. So again, if you want to support the show, leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player of your choice. Subscribe, download every episode. We'll be going pretty strong now from, from here until the Warriors are eliminated from the playoffs, pretty much. And so we'll see when that is. But thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. San Jose Sharks hockey is back, and we've got you covered five days a week at Locked On Sharks. I'm Kyle Demetrius. I'm J.D. Young. I'm Eric Fowle. Together, we make sure you're never without your Sharks programming. Will the Sharks make a trade for a right winger? We got you covered. Will Eric Carlson's groin hold up for the entire season? We've got you covered. Whatever happens with Team Teal every day, we've got you covered at Locked On Sharks five days a week on the Locked On Podcast Network.
This is Josh Lloyd, the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, the number one fantasy basketball podcast in the world. If you are looking for information regarding fantasy basketball, recaps of the NBA, this is the show for you. We are heading into the offseason and starting to get ready for the 2020-2021 fantasy season. We'll have all the information on what happens through the rest of the playoffs, free agency, the NBA draft, and then heading into a big 2021 season. So make sure you're checking out the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast.